Previously on Nerd Punches Nerd, and it has a very good resolution and ending, which isn't necessarily easy. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna posit a theory that the reason that the Matrix ending is good is because they didn't try to do something unpredictable. They told you what was gonna happen. There were a couple of other movies that had like sort of similar concepts that came out around the same time or possibly a little afterwards. One of them was called The 13th Floor, and the other one was called Dark City. That came um, out before. Dark City came out before? Yeah. Okay. Check out check The 13th Floor also. Because like both I, of those movies were also movies about like questioning reality and like, you know, living in a world which is like a you know, a fake world or like, you know, something that's that's an illusion. Okay, I mean, um, it, it certainly happened. So it wasn't, it was the, it's not, the Matrix, okay, but right. Yeah, so, that, that is, but that, as we've talked about before, that's a common thing, that similar ideas come around at yeah. the same time, that people are influenced in similar ways. You know, this, you know, these cyberpunk ideas, uh, that the, the way that that also happens is very common. I mean, had, we, and had, had anything, but, sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, Dark City, you know, was like that, you know, you could even talk about, like, the Truman Show, you know. Yeah, yeah, that had its interesting to talk about it from a cultural perspective. Like, what does it say about us that all these movies were coming out at the same time, you know, in terms of like our own, our own perception of, of the world being like more artificial seeming than it used to be? Yeah. And not only that, but that like uh, life is like an illusion that, you know, I think people there's also part of the anticipation of things starting to uh, not be so great anymore. Because, you know, you're starting to have, you know, getting close to, you know, economic downturns. Yes, you know, yes, but I mean... The rose-colored lens is maybe not... Well, no. sort of. Okay, I, mean, okay, okay. I mean, you know, I, I, well, you could... I, I want to bring this up. Like, you can compare the, the technophobia in The Matrix to the technophobia in, like, Terminator. Exactly. Very, or in very the Twilight different. Zone. Or in the Twilight oh, well, Zone. Techno I mean, technophobia... Is, you know, is a very consistent thing that happens. No, 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 no. But the concept, no, no, but the concept. But I mean, I mean right, that, right. you know, it's almost like, um, when, when I say that, what I mean is like both of those movies are sort of driven by a underlying technophobia. Um, you know, Terminator, the fear is that like our, our lives are becoming too mechanized and machines do everything for us and the machines are going to take over. Um, and, and the Matrix kind of also has that idea, but it's presented very differently. Well, very, I mean, very. It's more like, about being controlled by that which we create. Yeah, and, and just so about the control systems and mechanisms that we create to make our lives yeah. easier or better yeah. end up yeah, controlling us in turn. That's, that's really that's good irony. Right. But, right. but okay, I, I want to say something just about like the whole thing about. You know, it, I think you can point to it to being a reflection of the times in terms of maybe how people were thought and how maybe it even came about aesthetically. But the, the, the problem is when you're when you're dissecting any any sort of any sort of artistic medium at any time is there going to be a reflection and every time has something i mean i don't know if a decade goes by without there being something about the impending collapse of civilization i mean this has been going on <laughs> since since the dawn of civilization seriously i mean definitely i mean think, like, you know it's funny because like i was gonna say like in the 50s i don't think people thought that way even though it was yes during they the did Cold it was the, yes no 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 there was stuff about it in, in, during that time about the world ending there was stuff uh, uh, about in, in the 50s. I mean, there, there, there were yeah, things about post, the impending collapse. 
It's the, yeah, that was where the whole nuke stuff started. There, there's plenty. Because there's plenty of stuff during the Cold of, War. Uh, the Russians. Yeah, like like I, I don't know. I don't know when it happened that people start stopped like weren't worrying about stuff. I think maybe there were like a couple years of things, but people were worrying about something else. There was the Y two K thing. I mean, that was a smaller thing. There was oh, stuff you know going what, on. In the, you, know like, nine, you know what it is yeah. in the fifties. In the fifties, people pretended that they weren't afraid that the world was going to end, even though like deep down inside they were. Well, I think yes. they really thought it was going to end like soon. Yeah, that's people what it thought, seems like. That's what people thought, talk about. Like, yeah, if you, yeah, if you talk to people who were alive back then, they say, "Yeah, no, there was this feeling like World War Three was just going to start any moment." Also, also because people were just coming out of World War Two, they didn't so talk think, about it, right? Like, I, I feel like it was it was like well, under the surface. There was the red, there was a whole Red Scare thing going on. I mean, there was Red Scare in the twenties, but there was a Red Scare going on with the whole McCarthy thing. That was a huge thing. That was a gigantic thing going on. I think that's uh, that's where a lot of fear got got transferred into. There's plenty of stuff, and then the Twilight Zone had actually specific episodes about about things ending or what people would do in these situations. I mean, I think it was one of the more mature ones. Well, I, yeah, I don't you, know. I mean, I mean, you the, always the, have interesting reactions. Like, I mean, even look at Star Trek, which was basically like this idea about the his hope for the utopian future, where he had a Russian on the space station, which nowadays seems like well, whatever. Who cares? They're just Russians. They're like big, strong, you know, guys that go can run for miles and you know have you know are just really tough and they're really hard to kill based on all these gangster movies we see. But at the time, it was like, whoa, that's like it's it's significant that these two powers that seemed like they could never be allies or friends or anything were acting as though there was nothing different. Well, was, nothing like, dissected that scene. better than Rocky Four. <laughs> well, that, that was sort of the uh, interesting. Uh, Ending to the whole Cold War business. The Rocky's speech: Two guys can beat the hell out of each other. So why can't we get along? Or whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever intelligent thing that Rocky Balboa said. Finally, he says, "At least we are They're both trying to kill each other, and you know, but we both change. If we could change, who could change? I don't really know exactly how he changed, other than I think they just sort of did all. I think he was talking respect. about the fans. Well, like how right. the fans started cheering for him and, and just yeah, started they, cheering for like, you know, the spectacle. They were cheering for the spectacle of it instead of instead of rooting against him because he was the bad guy. Well, you know, the, the spectacle, but the fact that, you know, he had the heart and will. And the performance. Yeah, they were they were cheering for the for the performance of it. Yeah. But I think <laughs> we're getting a little off track here. Um, <laughs> I to talk Wait, is it, isn't this podcast supposed to be about Rocky? Yeah, yeah is it so? Is it? Are we thinking of Rocky in the Matrix? Are, are we Isn't doing that, Rocky yeah. cast right now? Listen, the Ro- Rocky did actually take place in the Matrix. He just didn't realize it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, of course, it's interesting when they talk about where the movie is supposed to take place in sort of this vague late '90s situation. You know, where it's just sort of like you know, technology is a certain point, but it's not at a certain point. Like obviously, as we you know can we know later on, but also we can conjecture even from the first movie. Yeah. Technology gets more advanced than what we see from "quote unquote" Earth in the movie, right? And obviously, it's it's there's there's clearly some level of stagnation that's being enforced for uh-huh. a reason. You know, they're not going to be able to get past certain points. You know, you kind of wonder about people developing physics stuff, and maybe they're trying to do measurements, and everything, and all the data is being falsified because they don't want them to actually make any kind of real discoveries. Yeah. Which would be an interesting thing. Or, for example, why didn't why is it they, that they don't know about any aliens or alien uh, signals? Is because they're inside the matrix and all that stuff is hidden from them. 
Right. There's all sorts of little things that you start, you know, delving into at it. That, you know, well, what's this thing about aliens? I mean, how do you know people can't know about aliens? I mean, you know, what, it's just that happens? we haven't received any signals from aliens, and mathematically, it doesn't make any sense that we haven't heard. What does that have to do with the Matrix worlds? No, I'm saying like if they could control the environment, they could just you know keep everyone in isolation I, I, and add. To I, that. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not convinced by these mathematical arguments about like you know we would have heard from aliens. Like I think I think a lot of that sort of assumes faster than light travel, which it, you no, know. it doesn't. None no, of it. no, it's just talking about signals, like any signals. Like we have a lot of stuff that comes off of the earth, like TV and radio stuff. Right. We're just talking about any kind of ordered anything. No, the tourists, there are obviously going to be explanations. Like, you know, the simplest explanation is, you know, we were the first to develop signals or, you know, like that kind of thing. You know, it's pretty simple. Anyway, I want to talk a little bit about some of the naming conventions that they used. Because I think that it's sort of interesting to think about whether or not it was all intentional or they thought it was cool or not. I think in some cases you could say for sure. I mean, Neo, you know, obviously it means new you know some people say oh it's an anagram for the one i think that's a happy coincidence that they just sort of probably stumbled into uh probably and of course morpheus though is interesting because you know we all know morpheus is the guy from the sandman and apparently they told Lawrence fishburne to use the character from sandman as sort of an influence on the way he did his acting performance really i yeah. had not heard that yeah so i think you know i think you could definitely say that there's something they're considering that, that they said that explicitly. But that being said, like, you know, what is it about this, you know, he's the controller of dreams, essentially. You know, he's the the person between dream and reality, right? I think it's pretty clear what's happening there. Yeah, I mean, he's the passageway, uh, essentially. Right, uh, so he's... Then, I, think, I think those are, okay, those two are pretty obvious. I mean, I mean, also, it becomes clear from, from also the later movies that he's a very important figure to the resistance and that he's one of the main... He's one of the probably one of the big figures with like recruitment. He's 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 really done a lot for it, and he knows how to navigate between both. Also, he's competent outside too. That's the thing. Right. He's right. very competent as as a captain too, especially when he puts on that great hat or that 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 a uh, skull cap hat when uh um <laughs> the beanie or whatever when the <laughs> when the the sentinels come by. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's good. And of course, you know the the names of the agents: Smith, Brown, Jones, using the most popular names in English. How do you know the other ones are Brown and Jones? That's what they're listed as. Okay, okay. So, I mean, obviously it's a reason that Smith is even more so. It's, you know, it's the, you know, the most popular last name. So, at least in America. Right. But then you get to the more interesting ones, like the ones that I don't know if it's quite as clear. Like, for example, Cypher by, by uh, Joey Pants. I mean, you could say that maybe it's called Cypher because, you know, is it a mystery whether or not he's really on the same side, etc., or maybe it's just because it sounds like a cool hacker name. Yeah, I, I assume it's just like, oh, this is a cool hacker name kind of thing. I, I don't think they put that much thought into the names. It's my but guess. Then you have to wonder about Trinity. I mean, now obviously, there's a lot of sort of, you know, Christian symbolism, considering, you know, one point, you know, Cipher says to Neo, "Ah, oh, Jesus." You know, and they talk about how, you know, he he basically comes back to life. He's the savior, blah, blah, blah. But what is it about the name Trinity that means anything? Why does she have that name? I mean, it can't just be a coincidence. It can't just be arbitrary. So why does she have that name? 
I don't, I don't think it's, even though it's like Trinity is a very Christian sort of concept, I don't think it's supposed to be specifically Christian. Okay. So what yeah, are you thinking? Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, Trinity. Go, go ahead. I mean, you could talk about like a three in one type of thing, but why does she have that? There's nothing, I mean, I mean, just think about her character. There's nothing particularly, you know, triple about her, her character or, or personality or like her role that I can think of. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. Um, I will say this, though. I mean, like, it's, you know, maybe they didn't put that much thought into all the different people, people's names. However, um, uh, basically the, the cast members, uh, at least the main cast members, had to, like, read a few of these, like, different books before before they started filming. Like this book, like, Simulacra and Simulation like, or whatever. Like this book, The Invisibles, that uh, <laughs> apparently was written by Grant Morrison. Ooh, bring up some controversial, very, 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 very nerdy controversial material. You have to be very nerdy to know about this controversy. But, uh, <laughs> ooh, you just brought oh, up a hot button topic. Yeah, Chris Morrison, right. you know, basically at one point he came to the set. He he said, "Hey, I I have an idea for what your movie should Jeremy, be." Jeremy, do his accent. You can't you can't do it without the accent. Well, let's see. How does he sound? He, he has a low he has a low Scottish accent. I think your movie should be a bit something called The Invisibles. All right, that's right. great, Grant. Yeah, that's we were gonna. Yeah, this movie is actually it's about ponies. No, 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 no. Yeah, let me tell you. I'll just write it. It'll be called The Matrix, and he writes it down. And they just out. We'll just throw this in the trash for you, Grant. <laughs> we'll, we'll do you. We'll do you a favor. Yeah. <laughs> um, or maybe, as he said, that they just had copies of the, the Invisibles around for reference or reading or whatever. I don't know. Right. Okay. So putting aside the invisibles, what what books um, so, were so, officially part of the? Well, he meant, you know, yeah. So there, 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 there are a few things. So they had to read things. Stone Baudrillard's Smoker and Simulation. Yeah, they had to read like like Plato's thing of the cave or whatever. Allegory the, of the cave. Like, the cave. You know, like looking at the shadows on the wall, and if people were chained to to a wall, looking at shadows on the wall their whole lives, they believed that was reality or the shadows were real, something like that. And, and and just other things. So so they actually had to go through a whole process beforehand. And maybe I mean some people say <clears throat> Grant Morrison that they had to read copies of the Invisibles beforehand, or that they read it beforehand. Who knows? But there was a huge pre-production process. That's basically I think I think what's what's there. Who knows if, if every single name just had a purpose? I mean they also they also were very into aesthetic anyway. So there's some things that were there just to look cool, which I like. But well, yeah. I mean I think that's. I don't think that makes sense. I I think it's interesting to sort of close it off here before you know before we get to the sequels. Talk a little bit about a little kind of thing I would call what if. Okay, mm-hmm. hold on. Before we get into the what if, there is one more thing I want to address about the first movie that I think we should at least touch on, okay. um, which is a little bit controversial. But it's the idea of the magical Negro. Oh, um, all right. Because well, because I, for those who don't know, the magical Negro is a a trope. That pops up in movies where, like, the main character who is white um, is assisted in some way by a secondary character who's usually black or some other, you know, minority race, um, you know, and often often seem to have some kind of like mystical or you might say exotic sort of abilities or powers that they use in the service of helping the white character achieve uh, whatever they're trying to achieve. So there's there's been a lot of debate, I think, about whether the Matrix 
is an example of this or not. Um, because especially the first movie, you know, really Morpheus dedicates his, his entire existence to, um, you know, to, to helping, uh, Neo become the one. And you also have the Oracle who is sort of almost like a secondary magical Negro character who also, you know, fits the trope and is also like, you know, trying to help, you know, Neo achieve his oneness in a sense. Um, and, um, you know, and I think it's something that's worth bringing up and just, and just at least so, touching on okay, as, so, as a somewhat controversial, uh, you know, criticism of the movie. I think, I think it'd be legitimate, but here's one thing that throws a wrench uh, into that. Will Smith was first, was first, um, approached to be Neo, I believe. And well, he, he, he turned it down. First approach. That was actually going to be part of my what if talking because originally he, the, the Wachowski wanted Johnny Depp to do it. And after that, they wanted to. Oh, interesting. They, then, and after that, they wanted Will Smith, who said no, because I don't like the the you know this bullet time stuff. It seems like it's it's not going to work. It's yeah, and, and he he had said that he thought he wasn't strong enough. He has said before, I think, that he said that he wasn't strong enough as as an actor at that point to pull it off. He did what, say that. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, like, is Keanu Reeves that strong? I, mean, I know. <laughs> well, no, it's sort of an yeah. odd reason. For someone like Will Smith to turn out a movie like know, The Matrix, well, honestly, like, yeah. he did Wild Wild West. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I think I think it would have been a different movie. I don't know if it would have been as good. It's hard to really speculate, but Will Smith would have pulled it off. I mean, I, I don't think I there's think, a lot of. I, I think, think he could have. Yeah, I think he could have. I think he actually probably could have done really well. I mean, he, he's good at it. It would have been a different sort of thing. Um, I mean, we're, we just so associate The Matrix now. With Keanu Reeves' performance of being kind of right. this blank guy, right. and the blank, and he he kind of worked with that because he was kind of this oh, blank slate. Oh, absolutely works. You know? it works so gorgeously. So so, and then the other piece of it is like I'd be willing to accept a, a lot of the the magical Negro stuff that that that, that may be an issue with her, that may be part of it. You know, the, the thing about it though is that is that there's a lot of I, I I find that I think there is this racial overtone or undertone or something to the movies, but I don't know if it's supposed to. I don't know if it's supposed to just have the message like, oh, the, uh, these people are the ones who know what's, what's going on, or if it's just kind of like they're trying to show different races uh, of people. Now, you had mentioned, Sam, that, that the people in Zion, they were mostly of color. So like, right. maybe, they, so, so maybe, maybe, maybe they really were trying to say something like, like, well, you know, the people who really survive really can resist. You know, maybe what Chowskis were thinking of or were sort of thinking – you know the people who really rebel, and the and the people who really are the true people or whatever are the are the, the people of well, color, and they have the realism and they'll fight against the system. I don't, I don't system. think I, I don't would know. go that far, but it, it well, the they did have Cornell West in the sequels. Yeah, who did he who did he play again? Pat Polly himself. But they did other racial. I mean, they did other things. Well, I, mean, they, I think no, well, no. I mean, the, the fact that the fact that like especially like in the second movie and the third movie, like the majority of characters are are black or you know I think they're mostly black. Um, J- J- you know, that, that does kind of cast a, a different perspective on the whole, the whole issue of, of race, but at least the well, first movie does seem yeah, to suffer a little bit from falling into you... those, those sort of, um, you know, cliches or traps or whatever you want to call them. I don't know, but I, I think I only agree partially because let me give you some other potentially alternate casting that was tossed around. Okay. For, for, uh, Carrie and Moss, it, the person who was originally approached was Janet Jackson. Okay. And two of the people that were also considered other than Lawrence Fishburne were Gary Oldman and Samuel L. Jackson. 
it sounds like it sounds like they just really like black actors and actresses. It sounds like they were kind of gunning for that. Yeah, but I imagine mean, this. Yeah. Instead, instead of how it was, it would be Will Smith and Gary Oldman. <laughs> that that is that I mean that like I totally changes it. I, I don't know. It's so bizarre. I don't. It's hard <laughs> to know how that would even feel because it's just it's a different. It's there's a very interesting. You know. You know what it would feel like. Room. It would feel like Men in Black. I don't know. I mean, Gary Oldman wouldn't necessarily have to play. He he's not. He wouldn't. Play, I don't think he'd have to play Cragway. Yeah. I think, but, but so, I'm saying so, like we've seen that we've seen we've seen that you know um, the the race reversal you know with with Will Smith like you know we we saw it in Men in Black it was you know that was a different sort of dynamic. You also yeah, you, although you, if it was Samuel Jackson and Will Smith that would also have been a, a different dynamic. Yes, okay, yes, okay. it's 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 tough because I think what's tough and this is my own sort of like just statement anyway it's tough because we live in a world where there are races so no matter what you're I think you're often going to fall into some category because if you're making it all white that's going to be an issue of not having any uh, white people if you make it all black you know it's like well, why is this white person making you know uh, trying trying to like pander. Or like, or try to show how liberal they are, or something. I, I think, I think it's 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 easy to fall into traps wherever you go when you deal yeah. with like the racial the racial question. You know, I think the one way or the other falls most closely. Yeah, I'd say that. Trope. I I would say even that. if it's not like a perfect thing, there's a lot of things like in it. You know, there's you know matronly lady. She's cooking. She has some kind of seemingly mystical power. Although, as we find out later, it's really all just you know design. She's designed to be able to predict the future, mm-hmm. you know, using you know mathematical calculations that are very impressive. But and then it comes across. The cool thing also about the whole Matrix thing is that it, everything comes across as like a human thing, even though she's a program. You know, I think that's that's what's really cool. Well, before we get into, there's one thing I want to talk about, but it sort of ties into this another potential what if, and this is another what if that was actually something that was originally planned. The original plan now one of the classic plot holes that people talk about with the Matrix is this idea about well why are the machines doing it anyway? Now as we know from the from the Animatrix, the origin was essentially, you know, machines were built with artificial intelligence as helpers, and basically it sort of led to a situation where they were being oppressed by humans, they started their own nation, and they basically started fighting each other. And right, and that that story also has strong racial overtones because it sort of reflects, you know, um, things like civil slavery, the civil rights movement, um, you okay. know, okay, well, persecution okay. of of like it, indigenous peoples and in, in like colonial. Yeah. They put a lot of stuff, you know, like in there. like that. All that stuff was was clearly like being referenced in yeah. in those stories, like clearly True. being referenced, openly being referenced. But like getting back to the reason. You know, other than, you know, just petty, like, we're doing this to oppress people, why do they bother? Why do they care about having humans in the Matrix? What does it, why do they need to keep them around? And, of course, the reason that they said in the movie was a simple one. They said, oh, we need it because uh, the human body produces 14 million BTUs of heat. <laughs> BTUs. <And> then, <laughs> I don't think it was 14 million. No, it was like 10,000, but... It was, uh, and then you know, and of course it's simple because all we have to do is just liquefy the remains of dead humans and feed it to them. Yeah, seamlessly. Well, it's a, it's a seamless system. It's, Look, it's a giant, it's, it's a giant perpetual motion. That's the whole thing. Like, 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 who, who are people's kids? Like, like, I guess I came to the thought that maybe they just like it, the people jizz in real life, and they take the jism and and, and they, they make it like shoot across like the the rest of the the fields of 
of Who uh, knows? <laughs> it shoots across in the air over the field into the correct female. <laughs> The correct female pod. <laughs> I mean, they could probably do it, but it, there are other. So with technology, you can do everything. <laughs> of course, it's interesting because even with this, they had to throw in, combined with the form of fusion, this provides all the energy they need. Right. Like, they wait, knew wait. as the sci-fi. Wait, wait, wait. They said combined with the form of fusion. Yeah, no, they they had to put it there because they're like, no, we can't, we can't just leave it in this. Like, but if it they, doesn't make any sense. It, it still <laughs> doesn't make any sense because if they have fusion, then what do they need the humans for? Right. Well, that's okay. Part okay. Of the the I, point I, is, yeah, they, they knew, they knew it didn't make any sense. They did that because it's an easy thing to explain. They're like, oh, look, it's a giant battery. I get it. And just yeah. the, I, I mean, the, I mean, the, the, the visual image, the visual image of like. You know, Morpheus just holding up a Duracell. You know, it's it was it's evocative. It was yeah, exactly. It was cool. Right, exactly. So, I, like the whole thing is it's it's clearly much more of a, clearly a, a, a metaphorical thing. It's clearly a metaphorical thing that they're that they're yeah, taking that they're, you, that they're using humans, you know, for their energy source. Yeah, but let me so. tell you what the original intention was, which was more of an, a sci-fi-ish classic, which was the humans were used as a way of solving problems, the ones that machines couldn't do as easily the kinds of things that humans can do can solve relatively efficiently you know computers can't do very well and that's why also they, they were put in a, in a situation where it wasn't like a utopian because they wouldn't work they need a place where they can actually solve problems so they need to be presented with difficult situations but it, the studio thought that this was too complicated and that people wouldn't understand it which probably meant that they didn't understand it Really. Yeah, yeah. But I think, and I think there's probably some truth to that. I think, like, if you had the same kind of concept now, I think people could get it. You know, but there's like, you know, there's a big difference. You know, that's over ten years of difference. You know, and that was sort of people still had this like computers or magic thing, and they didn't really understand that kind of idea about you know computers and doing stuff. I think people could swallow that kind of concept. So I think when you start looking at it from that perspective, it makes a lot more sense. Which is that they the plot hole was put in there because they didn't have anything better. They needed to have a simple way to explain it. And would the movie have been better? I don't know. I think it would have made more sense, but it's not necessarily... It wasn't necessary to make the movie good because, you know, it's still a reason to keep it around, you know. And, but then I think it ties into what I think well, is probably the reason one of the best... I, I, I'm sorry to, sorry to cut you off. Before we get to that, the reason it works is because the movie, they just sort of say it, and then they move on, and it's not—it's not like a critical plot point. It's not yeah. something that that really matters to anything, you know. It's just this is the situation. This is what it is, you know. Well, I feel like it, it really you dwell on it. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is, like, other movies fail when they have those kind of plot holes because, like, the plot hole actually is important, you know. And they keep like coming back to it, you know, or like it's something like something essential in the movie, like turns on this particular plot point. But like in the Matrix. There's no part of the plot has anything to do with the fact that they're using humans as batteries. It's just like you know, well, that's the that's what the situation is. That's the situation right. we're dealing with. Yeah, you know, they're captured. They're under control. Right. That's all you need to know. Right. Yeah. Also, so here's the, here's works. an interesting thing to think about. Maybe they didn't think about this at all, and whatever. But like, how did the humans really know what the, what the machine's purpose was? Maybe that's just what it seemed like. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's just how it appeared. Yeah, I mean, well, actually, well, that, I mean, that could it, be an interesting point. Yeah, course, I mean, that's more of like a know, fanfic sort of thing, and I will not like write I that said, fanfic. But... You know, the original concept was this because we know that you know what it was. But that being said, you know, we all, it, nothing ever came up to uh, say that they were wrong about the energy thing. 
Right, right. But this brings us to one of the, one of the best scenes in the movie, which is the scene in which Agent Smith is interrogating Morpheus, and he disconnects himself from the communications of the other agents. He disconnects you know, himself from the Matrix in a certain sense. Not purely from the Matrix, but like he takes the earpiece out of his ear. It clearly, it has a, it's very subtle, because they never say anything about what it means, but it's clear that it means something, because he doesn't know about the attack on the building, because he didn't have the earpiece in. So it has some kind of connection. He also takes it out before he starts talking to him, because he doesn't want to be overheard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's clear that's what it means, even though it's never explicitly said. And I love that kind of thing, where it's not necessary to know that, but you can see it, you can pick it up. And where Smith gets into this interesting story, talking about this idea of the smell. He can smell the humans. You know, this artificially, and it's not even just like, it's clear it goes beyond any kind of artificially created feeling, sense. It's this feeling that he has, the psychological problem he has. You know, it's a it's a weirdly racist thing that he has about the yeah. smell of humans. Right. You know, you hear about and, like, and he's like, I want to like get everything. out of here. Like, I don't want to be around. You know what I mean? So, so but it's also good because it ups, it ups the stakes because it's not just he's part of the system that needs to eradicate the, the the problem. It's that he has a personal stake in it. You know, and that's part of the thing. So, so, so he's even so he's even more strongly attached to it. It also makes him more frightening um, because of he's, that. He's more frightening because also he's like more unpredictable. Because, right, exactly. like, if you're dealing with machines, machines ultimately tend to be very predictable. And um, the other agents he, are predictable. Right, and the other agents are predictable, exactly. But he is, is like, growing beyond his programming. You yeah. know, he's, he's evolving into something else. Um, which said, actually is an interesting prelude into, you know, for what happens in the second movie. Yeah, but we should move into that. <laughs> yeah, all right. So I think, I think we've done about, you know... Almost to, like for maybe forty five minutes or so on the first movie. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, which well, is you know it's a good. good amount. It's good. It's the best one. So yeah, besides the Animatrix, which we'll get to. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't call the Animatrix better than the Matrix. Yeah. But yeah, so getting it to the second movie, Matrix Reloaded. Stay tuned for part three of the podcast.